It's the HBCU Football Daily Podcast for today, Tuesday, December 18th. I'm Donald Ware. We are just one week away from Christmas. This may be our last podcast of the season. Maybe our last podcast of the season. We'll see. There are a couple of things I'm checking up on, including the ratings from the Celebration Bowl, Alcorn State, North Carolina A&T, which I'm going to talk about extensively on today's HBCU Football Daily Podcast. It is Takeaway Tuesday, and I want to start with the game, North Carolina A&T and Alcorn State. And first off, of course, A&T winning that game 24-22, another really good football game, Um, another solid crowd in excess of 31,000, almost 32,000 at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, the home of the Atlanta Falcons. So, I mean, I think that's solid. I want to really see what those television ratings look like because this was a really good football game. I mean, if you look at each of the Celebration Bowls, we've had four. This was a rematch of the first Celebration Bowl, which took place in 2015. You've seen where each game has been seven points or less, seven points or less. You can go back to the first Celebration Bowl. A&T wins that one over Alcorn State 41 to 34. You can look at the second Celebration Bowl in 2016. Grambling defeats North Carolina Central 10 to 9. The third Celebration Bowl uh, last year, A&T 21, Grambling 14, and the latest Celebration Bowl. Again, A&T 24, Alcorn State 22. Um, I thought, you know, if you heard this daily podcast, if you heard the weekend edition uh, from the press box to press row, I thought this was going to be a situation where you had a really good run offense in, in which Alcorn State has one of the best in the country, averaging in excess of 280 yards per game versus one of the top, if not the top, rushing defense in the country, A&T giving up 72 yards per game. It looked, at at least in the first half, it looked like A&T was winning that battle, no question about it. But then a couple of adjustments that Alcorn State made at halftime, and all of a sudden uh, Deshaun Waller got loose for a couple of big runs. Noah Johnson, the quarterback, got loose for a couple of big runs, and the game was on and popping. I thought that a and had some opportunities um, to really sort of put the game away. If you look at the botched field goal attempt that a and had in the third quarter, the Aggies had an opportunity to go up 20-6 to where Alcorn State really wasn't doing much of anything. And then you get the botched field goal attempt. It really swings the momentum. A couple of special teams play plays in this football game by North Carolina A&T swung the momentum for both Alcorn State and North Carolina A&T. Again, the botched field goal attempt. And again, that goes back to Khalil Carter. For those that don't know, Khalil Carter is the backup quarterback for A&T. He's also the holder. He was involved in an accident over the Thanksgiving break, and he broke his leg. So he was out for this football game. That meant that A&T would have an inexperienced holder and that rang true in that field goal attempt in the third quarter that was botched. And all of a sudden, the momentum after that, because, again, you're talking about A&T going up by two scores at that time and with the A&T defense playing well and the Alcorn State offense not getting anything done. And all of a sudden, Alcorn State really got things going. You had Deshaun Waller break open a big run 
and then ultimately Noah Johnson scored on a uh, a 30-yard touchdown run that pulled A&T or pulled Alcorn State, I should say, to within 17 to 13. Then you had Deshaun Waller get another really big run. But this time around, A&T held and Alcorn State was forced to kick a field goal, a 29-yard field goal uh, with 51 seconds remaining in the third quarter that gave or that enabled uh, Alcorn State to pull to within 17 to 16. Then on right on the kickoff after the field goal, um, this happened. McCullough going to kick it short, and it's going to be taken by Malik Wilson at the 20-yard line. Trying to outrun a man. He's loose. Down the right sideline, one man to beat. He could. He's, He's at gone. the 30. He's 20, gone. 10, 5. Yes. He will. Touchdown. Malik Wilson. He might. He could. He will. And Malik Wilson really got the job done. 79 yards on the kickoff return for the touchdown. It put A&T ahead 24-16. And it was the margin that A&T needed. Now, ultimately, Alcorn State came back. Another long touchdown run by Noah Johnson that pulled Alcorn State to within 24-22, to pending the uh, two-point conversion. Now, I want to talk a little bit about that two-point conversion because, you know, I thought that, um, and and now I can't remember the the receiver that caught the football for Alcorn State, but you had a situation where Noah Johnson scrambled a little bit, was rolling to the near start line or to his right, and threw it. The receiver caught the football, but then the official said that he was juggling the football as he was going out of bounds. So he got the one foot down. All you need in college is one foot. He got the one foot down, and then the the official said he was juggling. And that's not what I saw when I saw it live. And then when I also when I saw it live and called it live, um, I thought immediately that it was in fact a catch. Um, and then when even when I saw the replay. I didn't see the receiver juggling the football. I just saw where the football it it he the football moved. So he had possession in other words and then it's like the football he had it in both hands and then it moved to to one hand. I, I mean I you know I don't you know I mean I guess the rule states that you have to have total control of the football so that two point conversion ultimately did not count. And so even with that, you had A&T that was able to get a first down on its next possession, which was critical because Alcorn State had been holding A&T to pretty much three and outs in the second half. And by the way, Alcorn State was absolutely fantastic from a run defense perspective. Alcorn State lived up to its name in the run defense department. Um, A&T, not so much. It's an A&T team. You know, you're talking about a team that gives up only 72 yards per game, yet Alcorn State in this football game got 328 yards rushing, 328 on the A&T defense. Meanwhile, just held uh, A&T, uh, I don't know, was it 40 yards? I mean, it, it, A&T did not get a lot of yards in terms of being able to run the football. 38 total yards rushing, and Marquell Cartwright, who had over 1,000 yards rushing for the second straight year, 13 carries for four yards. Jamaine Martin did a little bit better. 10 carries for 31 yards for A&T. But this was a, a, a Alcorn State defense that lived up to its billing in terms of from a run defensive uh, perspective. And they really, really got the job done. So going back to the fourth quarter, A&T 
um, it, it was important that they at least get a first down, and they did. They were able to chew up some clock, four minutes and 12 seconds. All Corn State got the football back, and why that was important for A&T to, uh, to, for the four minutes and 12 seconds of possession because it allowed for the defense. I thought Alcorn State did some really good things on a couple of the runs that they had. Them, They had four long runs, two by Deshaun Waller and then two by Noah Johnson. Both of those went for touchdowns. I think even though Alcorn State executed very well and Sam Washington, the head football coach of, of A&T, would tell you that A&T was out of position. Their eyes went in the wrong place. I thought in looking in that football game and calling that football game, I thought that the A&T defense, quite frankly, was tired at that point because the A&T offense had not gotten anything going, hadn't generated anything in the second half, and then that defense is on the field the entire time. So it was important that A&T got the one first down and chewed up about four minutes and or chewed up four minutes and twelve seconds on the clock. Then what A&T's defense was stronger. Alcorn State gets the football back with 739 remaining. What happens? You have a three and out situation and A&T gets the football with 555 remaining. And what does A&T do? They chew up the clock. And as a matter of fact, they had a couple of third down um, situations in which they really needed to uh, really needed to get something done. Going back to that, the, the possession um uh, after or, uh, the touchdown by Alcorn State, it was a third down um, and four and a timing route between Lamar Reynard and Zachary Leslie went for nine yards. That play was absolutely huge. It gave A&T a first down and allowed them, them to chew up uh, 4-12 on the clock. Then another third down situation, third and 11, Isaiah Hicklin. He's a redshirt senior, has been used sporadically this year for A&T, had a couple of big catches in this football game. One was a little bit early on, and then a huge football, a huge catch, 30-11, 14 yards, and that pretty much um, sealed the deal for North Carolina A&T as the Aggies won the Celebration Bowl 24-22. So there was no doubt about it that A&T was going to be voted number one uh, in the final box to row coaches and media polls. As a matter of fact, it was a unanimous selection followed by Alcorn State and Southern. That was one, two, three in both the coaches and the media polls. Log on to our website at boxtorow.com and you can uh, get the final polls um, in terms of where each team ranked with both the coaches and that's only the Division One HBCUs and then with the media, which is inclusive of all uh, HBCUs. You know, I st- I, 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 you know, I've heard some talk about maybe this is going to be the year of the I don't really play into that unless there's something that um, officially comes out. I hadn't heard anything officially or even. You know, from MIAC officials, from SWAC officials, from people at ESPN, et cetera, it was good that um, that the Celebration Bowl was able to get a major sponsor back. Um, but I think this thing needs to exp- be expanded. I'm going to say it again. It needs to be expanded much like we have with the college football playoff format. You at least need to go uh, with four football games at least, I think, um, you know, and really expand this thing. Um, you know, again, you can't have – that's why there's still going to be a voting at the end of the season, even though I think the consensus would be 
that the top two teams going into the Celebration Bowl were definitely A&T and, and, and was definitely Alcorn State. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But at the end of the day, there still has to be a vote because it's not a true national championship from a couple of different perspectives. Number one, Tennessee State is not involved. If Tennessee State is not involved, then you can't have a true national championship. Um, And then the other thing is, how do you factor all HBCUs in? You know, I think that you do it on a level where you have the celebration bowl for the FCS schools. And then you have another bowl game for the Division two schools Uh, further. Uh, you could, you know, there there are only a handful of NAIA schools, uh, Langston, um, uh, Edward Waters, um, Texas College. Uh, those are the ones that kind of come to mind. But if there's sort of a way that you can do that. But the issue is much like it is amongst the FCS schools. You don't have Tennessee State involved in that conversation. Well, on the Division II side in the, at the NCAA level, you don't have the, uh, the, you don't have a West Virginia State involved who had a decent season. Um, by the way, that's the team that comes off the top of my – oh, and Lincoln of Missouri uh, wouldn't be involved uh, either. So I, I, I don't know, but I think, you know, it is what it is. Um, but I'd like to see the format expanded. I think that ultimately what they could do – is have a 14 playoff. The first two games would be played on the home field of the higher seed. Um, and then ultimately you would have the national championship game played in Atlanta. And I hope that continues. I want to see what the ratings look like. Uh, but I think from an, an attendance standpoint, um, you know, A&T definitely was in the building. No question about that. Um, you know, I thought Alcorn State was was solid, but but not as much as A&T was and certainly not as much as we saw, I think, Alcorn State going back to the 2015 season. Nonetheless, close to 32,000, I think, is a pretty solid number. I think that is a pretty solid number for these two teams. I mean, ultimately, you would want to see from an, an attendance standpoint, you would want to see a matchup like uh, either A&T or Florida A&M, something like that on the MEAC side. And then on the SWAC side, you would want to see a Southern or a uh, or a Jackson State. Both of those programs travel extremely well on the on the SWAC side, and then A and T is probably the cream of the crop in the MEAC. But I would, you know, I would venture to say Florida A and M could be part of that conversation um, as well. I think one of the things we're looking at as we switch gears. That's my thoughts on the celebration ball. I think as we switch gears, um, one of the things to really also look at, I think, um, is that A and T is building a dynasty. A&T is building a dynasty. This win by, by A&T in this celebration bowl goes back to 2011. It goes all the way back to the 2011 football season when Rod Broadway was hired as the head football coach at North Carolina A&T leaving Grambling. He had to come into that. And I was part of that. Uh, I, well, when I say part of that, I mean I was call, I called games that year for A&T, so I had a chance to see A&T up close and personal. And it was a mess. There was no question about it. Um, all that A&T had was 30 scholarships, 30 equivalencies to work with. No spring practice. So when you think about all of those things and trying to build a program, yet Rod Broadway and his and, and his staff able to get a, a program to go five and six that season, 
Their last four games on the road, all MIAC game, all of those games decided by one possession. A&T lost all of those games by eight points or less. As a matter of fact, I think if my memory serves me correctly, Norfolk State um, won the MIAC that year. And um, one of the last road games by A&T was against Norfolk State. And again, they lost by eight points or less in that football game. So um, it goes back to when Rod Broadway was hired as the head football coach. You look at a lot of the wins um, over that time. 2013, a win over App State as App State was making that transition from FCS to FBS. That was a huge win. Um, You look at 2014, sharing the MEAC championship. You look at 2015, sharing the MEAC championship. You look at 2016, uh, you look at the win over Kent State. That was a big win. Share, uh, well, they didn't share the MEAC championship that year, but A&T um, uh, ultimately went to the, the FCS playoffs. And then going back to 2015, of course, they were named HBCU National Champions after winning the Celebration Bowl. Move forward to 2017, a win over FBS opponent, Charlotte on its way to a perfect season and and another celebration bowl victory in the HBCU national championship. And of course, in 2018, a victory over ECU FBS opponent, a victory over Jacksonville state, a perennial power in FCS and a really good OV in in a, a pretty strong OVC conference. um, I would say so two big wins and then ultimately another championship. So you're talking about four years of postseason play for the North Carolina A&T program. You're talking about 2014 MEAC champs, 2015 MEAC champs, 2017 MEAC champs outright, and 2018 MEAC champs outright. So you're talking about in four of the last five years, MEAC championships, three of the last four years, HBCU football national champions. I kind of looked at um, looked up some, a couple of items to see, okay, where does A&T rank in terms of black college national champions over the years? I mean, even going back, I mean, Wiley College, who doesn't even have football anymore, ha- had a had a had a nice run there in the in the t- towards the latter part of the twenties, where they won a, a couple of national championships. Um, obviously, if you were to look really um, at any program, I think the the program that would most come to mind would be Grambling. And Grambling obviously had a, a lot of uh, a, a couple of really good runs. I mean, if I look at Tennessee State, Tennessee State, if you look at an HBCU national championship and you look at a four year run, who are some of the programs? that have had three out of four championships, Tennessee State, 1970, 1971, and 1973. They won HBCU national championships. And in 19, but in 19, sandwich in between that was Grambling State winning the HBCU championship in 1972. Um, you can look at Grambling, uh, 1974, 1975, and 1977. They were named HBCU um, national champions. Um, you know, but – one of the programs that really stood out, and I think a lot of people don't remember how good a program that Central State uh, really had. Um, if you look at 86, 87, 88, 89, 90, Central State won some form of HBCU National Championship for five straight years, including winning the NAIA National Championship in 1990. And ironically, North Carolina A&T was the other team. There is obviously a couple of differing 
different voting bodies. The most notable one at the time was SBN. So Central State actually won SBN's national championship and then A&T won a, a, a another national championship um, in 1990. The, the voting body, we're, we're happy to be the voting body um, for the national champions, um, you know, for 2018, uh, meaning Box to Row. Um, but I mean, if I, you know, again, A&T is right up there in terms of all time. Uh, when you talk about all time great programs, it started with, uh, of course, uh, Rod Broadway. And now Sam Washington has taken over and the Aggie program has not missed a beat. Sam Washington doing a phenomenal job. A&T finishes 10 and 2 and with another HBCU national championship. And by the way, along the way, I mentioned um, more so what A&T has been able to do. But look at look at the, the the one player that not only put helped put A and T on the map, but really I think um, more of a rejuvenation, if you will, of HBCU football. Because remember, at one time, you know HBCU you, you couldn't if you were black, you couldn't go to a non HBCU. You couldn't go to a you know a white institution. You had to go to an HBCU. So that's why when you look across the board and you see some of the greatest football players to ever play. They mostly, a lot of them, I should say, went to HBCUs. A lot of them went to HBCUs. I think at the last I counted was right around 30 um, Pro Football Hall of Famers um, went to HBCU, something like that, around 30 or something like that. But now sort of this resurgence. I mean, you look at Tariq Cohen and what he was able to do at A&T and, you know, the display that he had in the very first Celebration Bowl, three touchdown runs, of in excess of 70 yards or more in that game, 297 yards rushing, helped to put him on the map. He ultimately went on to be um, the the draft pick fourth round by Chicago in the 2017 draft. Look what he's doing in the National Football League. So, you know, that sort of began the resurgence. I mean, you can look at some of the players in the in the National Football League that are doing very well. Darius Leonard at South, of South Carolina State fame is in the running for Rookie of the Year in the National Football League. Leads the National Football League in tackles. St- started every game he's played in. He's missed a game or two because of injury. And he is the defensive signal caller also as a rookie. Um, look at what... Uh, Javon Hargrave is doing. Um, I mean, he's having an absolutely phenomenal, um, you know, career so far at, uh, at, at with the Pittsburgh Steelers right in the middle at, at one of those defensive tackle positions. So, you know, you look at what the, the sort of the trend, I mean, but there's other players in the league, but those are the three players that are playing at the highest level, I would say, right now that have played at HBCUs. And again, Tariq Cohen and what he was able to do throughout his career at A&T and then most notably on the biggest stage. Again, this is ABC, not ESPN. When you're watching the Celebration Bowl, you gotta, I got to emphasize this. We think ESPN and ESPN is great when it comes to sports and all of that. And it is great. Um, it is the worldwide leader. It is the the network that shows a lot of these, uh, a lot of the sporting events and a lot of the football games. It is. But at the end of the day, it's a cable network. ABC, you don't have to have cable to watch ABC. It used to be where you had over the air. Now they have these digital boxes, but you don't have to have cable to or or, or satellite TV to watch ABC. In other words, ABC is in much many more homes. And so for that reason, for Tariq Cohen to be able to do what he did on that national stage, uh, just, you know, again, uh, part of the A&T dynasty that we're seeing 
with North Carolina A&T. My thoughts on this Takeaway Tuesday. Hit me up via Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. Let me know what you think. Or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two R-O-W. Or you can hit me up on my personal uh, Twitter account, dware one D-W-A-R-E, the number one. Give me your thoughts. Again, uh, this weekend on the weekend edition of Box to Row, our year-end review show begins. Our year-end review show begins. So we're going to be taking a look back at some of the great interviews that we've had going back to 2018 or go, uh, throughout the year, I should say, or throughout the course of the year in 2018. So check that out on a radio station near you. If you're logged on to our website, then click on the affiliates link. If you're if you've downloaded this podcast, then go back to our website at boxerow.com and click on the affiliates link to find a radio station in your area that carries the program. Also, you can listen on Saturday morning, 7 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Central Time, that is 4 a.m. Pacific Time on Sirius XM Channel 141. And then Saturday, 9 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Central Time, that is 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Sirius XM Channel 142. Have a merry, merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you and yours. Check out the weekend edition of Box to Row. The next time I'll talk to you, it may be sporadically. We may bring back and we'll let you know via Twitter. That's why it's important that you guys follow us on Twitter and follow us on Facebook. Uh, But this probably is going to be the last HBCU Football Daily Podcast for the year. So have a wonderful holiday, and I'll talk with you in 2019.